Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. You're listening to Done By Law, brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. Good evening and welcome to Done By Law on 3CR 855 AM, 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. It's 6.01 and you're here with Beth and Marissa. We're talking today about the case of Semino, a Supreme Court judgment that assures better access to the Koori Court and sets the stage for Aboriginal cultural rights in Victoria. Our guests tonight were both involved in the case. Patrick Warner, Principal Lawyer of Civil Law at the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service, and Tal Schmerling, a senior lawyer at the Victorian Equal Opportunities and Human Rights Commission. We interviewed Patrick earlier today, and we have Tal on the line now. Good evening, Tal. So before we get into the details of the case itself, how groundbreaking is this judgment in terms of human rights in Victoria? Uh, yeah, I think it's, it is a really significant case um, for human rights in Victoria and, and specifically for Aboriginal cultural rights under the Charter. Um, so in Victoria, we're really lucky to have um, to have a human rights charter, and, and it sets out you know the basic rights and freedoms and responsibilities of all people in Victoria. And one of one of those um, there are 20 rights that are protected under the charter, and, and one of those is the rights of um, of Aboriginal people to enjoy their their identity and culture. Um, and so uh, that was really the, the human rights that was at, at the centre of, of the Semino case. Um, and what, what, the, what the Supreme Court found was that um, ju- uh, the magistrate in that case had to, consider, to make a decision about whether or not to transfer a case from the magistrate court um, in Echuca to the Koori Court in Shepparton. And um, what the court found was that because um, the magistrate hadn't properly considered um, the Aboriginal cultural rights of the applicant to have his case heard in in a, in a forum that catered for his, his cultural needs, uh, the decision was unlawful. So it, it is really significant, and, and it's one of the, the really first cases that explores the application of Aboriginal cultural rights under the Charter. So it is a really important case. And when we're talking about the Charter, how um, young is it in terms of Victorian law? Uh, so the Charter, it is a um, relatively new piece of legislation. It's... Um, it's, a, it's a, just a little bit more than 11 years um, old now. Um, and what we're finding is that actually the Charter's been used more and more in Victorian cases and, and being used successfully. So um, the case law is really developing well. But the way the, the, way the Charter really works is that um, it creates what's, what's called a dialogue model, which um, in lay terms really just means a, a continuous conversation about human rights between our three branches of government. So um, all public authorities in Victoria, so departments, agencies, local government and other organisations that um, 
that uh, service um, to undertake public services like public housing and public hospitals, they all need to act compatibly with human rights and need to consider human rights when they make decisions. Um, our lawmakers as well need to need to take into account human rights when they're passing legislation. And so if uh, human rights are going to be limited by a particular bill, um, they need to justify why that right can be limited. And then, of course, um, in courts and tribunals as well, um, the courts need to interpret our Victorian laws in a way that's compatible with human rights, um, as, as long as it's, um, it's possible to do so consistently with the law's purpose. So um, the Charter is, is young legislation, but it, it's being used more and more to create a culture of human rights in Victoria and is being used by applicants to uphold human rights. Thanks for that great introduction, Tal. We're going to hear now from Patrick, who'll give us a background to the case a bit more, and will and explain how it will improve access to the Koori Court and his thoughts on the judgment's broader relevance. Who is Zayden Semino, and how did the case come to be before the Supreme Court? Zayden Semino is a young uh, yorta yorta man living in Achuka. Um, he was receiving representation through the Vells Criminal Law Service with various matters before the Magistrates Court at Echuca. Um They'd resolved to a um, consolidated plea, um, and his solicitor, uh, Michael McKenna, who's no longer with Vells but is a great criminal lawyer, um, made a request for Zayden's criminal matters to be transferred over to the Shepherd and Magistrates Court, the reason being um, Zayden wanted to go to the Koori Court and there's no Koori Court sitting in Echuca at the moment. There's only one in Shepparton. Um, so that request was made in April 2017 um, before Magistrate Timothy Burke, and it was refused. Um, and the refusal was based on a number of things, but primarily Magistrate Burke uh, relied on a 1994 Supreme Court decision called um, Rosie and Martland that he said meant uh, proper venue, quote-unquote, for criminal matters being determined is in the magistrate's court closest to where the offences were committed. And because all of Zayden's offending had occurred in the Echuca area, um, it wouldn't be appropriate to transfer his matters to Shepparton for the purposes of going before the Koori Court. Um, so Michael, uh, you know, pleaded with him, uh, but he wouldn't budge. Uh, and then some further discussion happened at Val's and a decision was made um, to make a judicial review application of Magistrate Burke's decision, um, raising uh, some administrative law points, uh, but also some human rights charter um, arguments about Naden's cultural rights as an Aboriginal man under Section 19 of the, the human rights legislation here in Victoria. Thanks, Patrick. And in your experience at Vales, what, what are some of the reasons why clients might want to go before the Koori Court instead of mainstream courts? Oh, the Koori Court's a specialist court set up specifically to better engage Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who are in the criminal justice system. Um, there's a whole lot of research out there that shows um, you know, mainstream court hearings can be particularly alienating and, um, un, you know, not useful for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people um, who often already feel marginalised and, um, you know, not in a great position of power in society and are then, you know, dragged before a court uh, in a pretty intimidating setting, a magistrate or a judge sitting up high and um, not many other Aboriginal people in the room, no flags, anything uh, remotely um, supportive in a cultural sense. So the career court was introduced in Victoria in 2004. It was based 
in large part on the Munger Court system operating in South Australia. Um, and it basically does everything it can to um, change that, that power dynamic. So um, in the Koori Court setting, the magistrate sits at a table opposite the, um, the defendant. Um, next to them are Koori elders from the local community, um, a respected person. There'll be you know, representatives from relevant support services and obviously the police prosecutor as well. But everybody's sitting on the same level. And the idea is to be far less formal about things. It's more of a conversation uh, the magistrate still makes the ultimate decision about sentence, but uh, I suppose the, the value of it is the person is encouraged to participate and, generally speaking, um, you'd probably um, conclude that magistrates are going to have much more relevant information before them before they decide sentencing if a person is, is taking part in the process. Uh, so for a lot of um, Val's clients, it's a much... Um, better way to, to engage with that sentencing process. It's certainly not a soft option. A lot of people who go before the career court will be you know, sent to prison given custodial sentences, but um, the point is not to get a, a lesser sentence. The point is to actually use it as an opportunity to engage with, with the reasons behind the offending and, and have somebody who, in many cases, has known the, the person since they were a child um, help them you know, make sense of it in, in a cultural way that, that a you know, non-Aboriginal magistrate or judge just simply cannot do because they're not from that community. And how confident was Val's about how things would go in the Supreme Court? Uh, well, you never... You know, no guarantees. We we had a pretty good shot of, on the... Describe it as a black-letter law argument, which is that um, essentially the magistrate misunderstood the transfer power under the Curry Court Act and accorded far too much weight to that Rosie and Martland decision. Um, that aspect of our argument was relatively straightforward and uh, I suppose we were reasonably confident about that. Um, the human rights arguments were far um, more difficult um, to, to articulate because uh, prior to this case, the um, cultural rights under Section 19 of the Charter haven't really received any meaningful judicial consideration in Victoria. There's some... Um, Decision, there's a decision under the Bail Act of Justice Bell that briefly refers to Section 19, the child custody case in the Supreme Court that briefly refers to it, but it's not, it's not a main part of any decision prior to this case. So it's sort of an untested area. If you look at the international jurisprudence on, on um, you know, Indigenous people's rights, because the, the of course, based on the ICCPR, uh, most of the cases... Um, from the international law are really based on um, right to, you know, fishing in particular waters or right to use of land, you know, really about uh, maintaining traditional um, Indigenous practice in a, in a modern setting. Uh, and aren't really any cases that, that we could find anyway uh, that talk about cultural rights in a more modern context. So, you know, things like accessing a beneficial um, specialist court, that. So we weren't as confident that we'd get um, any... any success with that argument, but we certainly thought it was worth running because, you know, we're the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. Um, we had a relatively strong case on other grounds um, and, it, you know, it's about that, that people started giving this right some meaning. Um, and so we're really pleased that that Justice Kinane, um, you know, took those arguments on board and didn't agree with everything that we were saying, but certainly um, went further, I think, than any judge has gone yet in Victoria in saying what that right might mean in, you know, the 21st century. And what do you see the potential impact of this decision for your clients? I think it's going to make people... It's going to make access.
access to the Koori Court easier for people, particularly in areas where there is Koori Court and matters need. So prior to this, um, you know, we would relatively routinely um, have lawyers complain that their requests to transfer were refused by magistrates. I think after this decision, magistrates are going to have to think a lot more carefully about the reasons they, they are proposing to refuse a transfer request and um, I think it'll be much better for, for Koori Victorians to, to post this decision to access that particular jurisdiction. And do you see this case having relevance beyond requests to transfer to the Koori Court? It might. It might, um, it might for, the, for the human rights argument reasons. Um, without wanting to get too technical about it, the, um, the part of the decision that was a little bit disappointing was that um, Justice Ganane disagreed with Valve that in hearing a transfer request, the magistrate's court's acting in, in an administrative capacity. If they're acting in an administrative capacity, then uh, Section 38 of the Charter applies and um, there's quite a bit of you know human rights considerations that you can bring in. Um, so he disagreed with us on that and but found that the Charter applied through a different method in, 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 in the Charter, Section 62B, which says that sometimes uh, in court proceedings human rights are such a core function of what the court is doing that the court has to have proper regard to them. Um, and what that means, I guess, in plain English is that when the court's deciding whether to transfer a matter to the Koori, um, of course a person's cultural rights are engaged because they're asserting their Aboriginal identity. Um, so in terms of your question, whether it would have a broader meaning, um, if there are other types of court hearings where a person's you know, Aboriginality um, are particularly relevant, and I can't think of any off the top of my head, but again, I'm not a criminal lawyer, um, then arguably the Section 19 right would be a relevant consideration for the magistrate or judge or whoever else in that hearing too. Um, so that's one way that it would have a broader meaning, but I think maybe if you take a step back and look at it, it the, the, the more exciting part of it in a way is that um, the Section 19 cultural right has been given an application in a modern metropolitan context so by that i mean we're not talking about you know um, access to particular fishing waters or you know cultural heritage sites it, it, the right has now been considered um, to apply in, in a more modern setting and that's the part where i think um, you know creative lawyers and then human rights advocates can can use this decision as a bit of a springboard to say that aboriginal cultural rights you know could apply in in much more dynamic and modern ways to the benefit of, of you know, those people um, than maybe has traditionally been understood. Um, but the route of getting there is a little bit more complicated given yeah. Justice Ganane didn't say the court was acting in an administrative capacity, but that's for future lawyers to try and, um, you know, work with. I'm, I'm sure there's clever people that will figure out a way to um, give it a, a much broader interpretation down the track. <laughs> Um, thanks so much for those comments. Is there anything else um, that you think you needed to add? Uh, just that we'd like to, you know, um, thank our client, Zayden, first and foremost. It's a really scary thing to um, agree to do this type of legal case because if you lose, then, you know, you're liable for hundreds of thousands of dollars of costs potentially. So, first of all, he was extremely brave to give us permission and trust to run the case for him. Um, our pro bono counsel, Emrys Neckford-Powell and Timothy Farhill, were just amazing throughout um, and did it for free. So that's incredible to have that support for our service. And also to the um, Victoria Equal Opportunity Human Rights Commission who intervened in the case and really helped um, get the judge over the line in some of the, the charter points. 
So I'd like to, you know, thank all of those people, um, and and you know also thank the um, the um, the magistrates as well. We appreciate they have a, a difficult job. They're very overworked, and we're certainly not uh, interested in in you know uh, being too hard on them. But we, we hope that this this decision will add a bit more clarity and make their job a little bit easier when these when these requests come come across. When they come across these requests. That was Patrick Warner from VALS, the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. VALS is a statewide service providing legal help to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Their head office is in Preston and they have several regional offices. Their phone is 94185999 9 or 1800-064-865 toll free or visit vals.org.au. We're going to take a short break now and then we'll chat some more with Tal Schmerling, Senior Lawyer at the Victorian Equal Opportunity and Human Rights Commission. The Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne is continuing its Stop Failing Our Kids campaign until this year's Victorian state election. We're asking people to sign an online petition and to send postcards to Premier Daniel Andrews, calling for his government to abandon plans to build a $288 million youth prison at Cherry Creek. We want that money directed to culturally appropriate programs to address the underpinning issues rather than incarcerating children. For more information and to sign the petition, visit Istra Melbourne's Facebook page. Postcards are available at 3CR and locations listed at istramelbourne.com. Premier, it's time your government stopped failing the kids. It's Jim Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. And it's 6.18 and you're here with Beth and Marissa on Done By Law, 3CR, 8.55am, 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. We're talking about Semino, a judgment in the Supreme Court that is good news for the future of Aboriginal cultural rights protected by the Charter of Human Rights and Responsibilities. We heard earlier from Patrick Warner from the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service about the case itself and some initial thoughts, and now we're talking with Tal Schmerling, a senior lawyer at Verioc, the Victorian Equal Opportunity and Human Rights Commission. Thanks again for joining us, Tal. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, we might just start again to just checking in. Why did Verioc choose to be involved in this case? Yes, yeah, so um, the Commission has, has a right under the Charter to intervene um, in any case that, that's going through the, the Victorian court system, um, we look we look for cases um, that raise um, either charter arguments or, or arguments that um, relate to equal opportunity. Um, and in, in in respect of this um, particular case, um, we intervened because uh, we thought there was um, a novel application of the charter. Um, it was uh, it involved a, um, an area of of law that was was unclear, um, as as Pat mentioned, there hasn't really been much um, much case law about the the meaning and scope and application of Aboriginal cultural rights under the Charter, um, and it really aligned with with our strategic priorities as well. So um, we were really keen to to intervene, and we we put forward submissions um, only on on the Charter issues that were raised by the case. Um, and it's important to note that we we um, we act as an independent third party in the case, so we don't act for for um, the plaintiff or the defendant in the in the matter. Um, we put forward submissions to the court about how the charter um, the charter points um, should be approached by the court um, and the meaning and scope of, of those rights. So um, that's 
um, I guess, a little bit of background about how we got involved. And how does this judgment change how Verioc or maybe legal fraternity, legal um, services more broadly, how we understand Aboriginal cultural rights protected by the Charter? Um, well, certainly it's it's really illuminating in, in the sense of how um, Aboriginal cultural rights are engaged by the Koori court system. Um, and Justice Ganane, um really put forward some um, a, a few great passages about um, the reason um, and purpose behind the Koori courts being established um, in the early 2000s. Um, and, and part of that was to address um, you know, historic and systemic discrimination um, uh, against Aboriginal people, particularly in the context of criminal justice, where, you know, it's obviously very widely reported that Aboriginal people are, are over-represented, over-represented in, in criminal justice. And, and what and what the, the Koori courts do, um, other than to obviously cater and, and be... Um, to be more culturally sensitive, they actually incorporate um, Aboriginal cultural beliefs and practices um, and really significantly um, uh, incorporate the involvement and participation of of Aboriginal elders and respected persons um, who were actually able to to put forward um, statements and and evidence um, will often um, know either the um, the accused themselves or um, their extended family or or kinship. And um, those elders are actually able to incorporate um, traditional Aboriginal cultural practices such as Aboriginal... um, such as cultural shaming and things like that. So um, it really is... um, Firstly, for the accused, it's an expression of, of Aboriginal culture, but then also for the community, the Aboriginal community itself to um, start to be involved in, in the decision-making of, of, of justice matters for Aboriginal people is, is also really important. And was there ever any doubt uh, from Verioc's perspective that access to the Koori Court was encompassed by the right to enjoy identity and culture protected in the Charter? Uh, so there was, there was, it was pretty clear to us from the beginning that um, Ab- Aboriginal cultural rights were, were engaged by this um, decision about whether or not to grant access to the Koori Court. The more difficult question, I guess, in this case was whether or not we could um, successfully argue the, the requisite hook that you need um, in, order, in order for courts and tribunals to have an obligation to enforce those rights. Um, so... Uh, one of the really good outcomes of the case is, is um, that was briefly mentioned by by Pat is that um, under Section 62B of the Charter, um, Justice Ganane found that um, Aboriginal cultural rights is is a right that um, is a right that uh, directly applies to, to court proceedings in these types of decisions, and so courts are actually under an obligation to um, consider consider that right. Um, when making the decision, and if they don't consider that right, um, that decision will actually be unlawful. Um, so it was it was more about arguing, trying, and, and importantly, it's worth noting that it's actually the first time that um, Aboriginal cultural rights have been argued, have been successfully argued through Section 62B. So it's pretty groundbreaking in that regard. Um, and so it was more about just making sure that we had the, the right hook to, to kind of um, require the magistrate in that case to um, to uphold Aboriginal cultural rights. And would you share Patrick's view that the potential of this case in terms of 
future human rights arguments is limited because of the technical distinction that the court was not seen to be acting in an administrative capacity? Uh, so, um, I, don't, I do, I do um, agree with Pat that it was it was uh, um, slightly disappointing, disappointing that the court um, found that um, found that the magistrate was acting in a judicial capacity. Um, we put forward really strong submissions that this actually was an administrative decision because um, the decision to transfer the case uh, to the Quarry Court um, didn't result in a, a final binding determination of, of legal rights and liabilities. The case still needed to be transferred to the Quarry Court and then for that case to be heard there. Um, and obviously the, there's the same sentencing options in the in the Quarry Court than in the Magistrates Court. So, but. Um, the Justice Ganane disagreed with us on that point, um, but I think that it's it's really significant that we succeeded under Section 62B of the Charter because what that means is that regardless of whether or not a, a magistrate is acting in a, in a judicial or administrative capacity, um, if the in these types of decisions, um, courts will need to um, consider um, the impact on Aboriginal cultural rights and take those into account, and also the right to equality, which um, which also Justice Ganane said was raised because of the fact that um, the Koori courts were set up to address systemic disadvantage against Aboriginal people. Um, the other the other point just to note as well is that we were also successful under Section 32 of the Charter. So that's a, a provision which says that, that all legislation in Victoria needs to be um, interpreted compatibly with human rights, um, where it's possible to do so consistently with its purpose. And so the relevant legislative provisions that gave the magistrate the discretion to transfer a case to the Koori Court, um, Justice Ganane confirmed that, well, that those provisions, that's, that's not an unbridled discretion. It's not a completely open discretion. Um, of course, magistrates have discretion to make the decision, but that decision needs to take into account and to, and to seriously consider and turn their mind to Aboriginal cultural rights. So we were successful on, on two of those three charter arguments, which I think was a really fantastic outcome. Thanks for that, Tal. What um, good time just for a little bit more um, before we go to the next show of Voice of West Papua. So my question would be, if you look at the horizon... Um, of where, where this case could go. What do you think would be the impacts in the future of this case on the human rights landscape in Victoria? Uh, well, I think it's, it's, you know, it's really great to have a, a successful application of, of Aboriginal cultural rights um, in courts and tribunals. And I think that um, because, as we, as we discussed earlier, the Charter is relatively new. So a lot of the time these um, Charter arguments aren't necessarily made all the time and so hopefully this case will be um, a bit of an indicator for Aboriginal people and, and of course their, their advocates and lawyers as well just to know that these arguments can be made and they can succeed um, in court um, and I think you know it's it's going to hopefully um, I really think that this will, will increase access um, accessibility to the Koori Court it'll make it easier and smoother for people to access um, Koori Courts and I think that um, Aboriginal communities in general have, have indicated um, their support for Koori Court. Um, Aboriginal people were 
integrally involved in the design and development of the Koori Court system and through the Aboriginal Justice Agreement um, have asked for expansion and and further funding for Koori Court. So um, Aboriginal communities um, believe this is an important expression of Aboriginal cultural rights and you know, it's good to see that the um, Victorian government has committed um, $12.3 million recently to expand um, Koori Courts in Victoria. So I think um, this case is really going to drive um, better, better justice outcomes and more involvement by Aboriginal people in, in decisions that affect them. Thanks very much, Tal. It's 6.28 and you've been listening to Done By Law on 3CR 855 AM, 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. Stay tuned for Voice of West Papua coming up next and we're going to go out with a pump and track by Mojo Juju. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.